why start a podcast agency in Singapore? Like I did, we did with Pickle & Co, a podcast agency based out of Singapore, but with partnerships in 12 countries across the world. Um, well, let me give you a bit of background to Singapore itself. And I'm doing this not for locals here in Singapore or people who live here like myself, really for those who don't know a lot about Singapore or why Singapore. Um, you know, just to put it into geographical context, Singapore is slap bang in the middle of Asia um, itself, uh, one of the world's richest economies. Um, crime rate is super low here. It's very, very safe. And I can say that I've lived in Japan, in Tokyo by comparison, and it's as safe, if not safer than there. Uh, it's not as clean as Tokyo, uh, but you know the Japanese are pretty fastidious when it comes to cleaning up after themselves. Uh, but Singapore is very clean compared to a lot of places I've lived, London, for example, and I've been to many, many cities in the world. Uh, marvelous city, very easy to live here, fantastic place to bring up a family. Many of the HQs are here um, because it's English speaking, it's got the historical connections um, with the English speaking world, as well as China, we'll talk about that in a minute. And it's common law, you know, it's uh, very low internationally on the corruption index. And so it's a great place to do business. People just let you get on and do your thing. And there seems to be um, quite sort of light touch in regulation. Tax rates here are low. Um, if you look at the the red tape, which I, as an entrepreneur, more than anything, it's bureaucracy and red tape that kills businesses. Red tape here is very light. And, you know, there's, there's fantastic um, platforms that you can use, for example, uh, for bidding for government contracts. Now, as a part of the sort of transparency of government agencies in Singapore, every single contract has to be tendered on a publicly accessible platform. So you can go on to vendors.sg and or there's another one as well. I forget the name, but it will come to me that you can go and basically, that, that, I think that one's for the invoicing, but there's another one like gebiz, gebiz.sg. And you can see every every single government contract that's out to tender. And it's very transparent. You can see who won the contract, how much the bid was for. You can see all the unsuccessful bids, which is amazing really, in terms of not only just transparency, but the efficiency of government. And, you know, for a small business like ours, a podcast agency based in Singapore, it's fantastic, especially if you're working with government. You get paid on time, which is always a bit of a bugbear, uh, working with large corporations. And, uh, you know, that just kind of helps, right? And then you've, you've got, I mean, it's not perfect by any measure. There's lots of things I would like to change in Singapore, but there is no utopia, really. Everything's a payoff. You know, what, what are the things you can compromise on and what are the things you can't compromise on in the place you live in the world? And that's the kind of decisions you need to make. I mean, I've lived in many different cities in the world, set up businesses in different cities. And so I'm very astute that aware that there is no perfect place and everything has a downside. And But you look at, for example, how Singapore's handled the lockdown 
in the last couple of years, you know, handled COVID. The very few cases now, we're down into single digit cases. And it's a city of 6 million people. So you imagine like a city of that kind of density, you know, and it's like, I don't know how many kilometers across, 60 kilometers across. Uh, I mean, in the UK, it's like the size of the Isle of Wight with 6 million people. So you can imagine that kind of density and, you know, how rapidly COVID could spread. And so they were very good very early on at locking down, like February 2020 got into lockdown real fast and just basically, yeah, I mean, you know, there is this thing about people do say that Singaporeans like to follow rules too much, but in these situations, in crises, that's actually a good thing. You know, that everybody just kind of gets on board and does their thing, doesn't question wearing a mask or your rights too much. So there's a time and a place for all of that, and it's certainly not during a crisis. So on the whole, as a place to live and work, Singapore is really a, you know, it's up there in the top five of cities in the world to live in, without a doubt, saying as somebody who's lived in many cities. And I think that's important because, you know, locals will always blow their own trumpet at why their city is the best in the world. And I think that's sort of invalidated by the fact that in many cities who rank themselves as a great place to live, the people who are doing that haven't lived anywhere else by comparison. You know, they've been places, they've traveled places, but living somewhere and Doing business and starting a business somewhere is a very different ball game to being a tourist. Because as a tourist, you just go and see, you enjoy all the good things. And yet as somebody living there, you have to deal with the daily stuff, the detail of life. And the detail of life can be stuff that brings you down. So why set up a podcast agency in Singapore? Well, number one is Singapore. That's the reason. And then you have the big TEDx, which is Asia. Now, just look at the data on Asia. I'm European by birth, so I'm very aware of change. There was the British century, then the American century, and now this is what they call the Asian century. And I work with, for example, on the podcast side, McKinsey, on the Future of Asia podcast, which is really about telling the story of the Asian century and helping map it for everybody. Because not a lot of people realize that just that change. You know, if you go back to 1918 and 100 years before that, in the Battle of Waterloo, which was like 1814, 1850, I'm sure some historians will put me right, that these were seminal moments. So you've got the Battle of Waterloo, like 1815, let's say, and you've got the end of World War One, which is 1918, and then COVID and, you know, the bust from the financial crisis that we have now in 2021, all, like, interestingly, 103 years apart each. Let's call it 100. So those centuries were really seminal centuries in terms of who had the cultural upper hand in defining the narrative. You know, in 1918, you would have spoken to any Brit in 1918 at the end of the First World War into the 20s. 
they would have believed that Britain was culturally, economically still a dominant force, even though by that point, the United States had crossed and become the world's biggest economy. You know, if you go back to 1815, the Battle of Waterloo, that was the British defeat of France. And therefore, the handing over of the keys to the world to the British Empire, the Victorian era, the definition of empire and road building and the building of infrastructure. That was the time we saw the building of the Suez Canal and the railroads, you know, that defined the British Empire and the, the shipping lanes. And then, you know, in the 20th century, the US built the Panama Canal and the roads and the infrastructure through internet and the you know that was kind of how they defined the empire of the 20th century and now it's like a different empire it's a different form of cultural hegemony which is the asian century and you look at the numbers like asia and the middle classes in particular you know two-thirds of the world's middle classes will be living in asia by the end of 2030 Two-thirds. Now, we know Asia, obviously, is the home to a lot of diversity in terms of economic power. You've got very poor countries at one end, like Laos and parts of rural India. And then you've got wealth at the top, like Singapore, one of the richest economies in the world. And then you have China, for example, which will become the world's biggest economy in time. And then India... You know, you've got more middle class in India than you have people in the US. So our images of India, and I spent a lot of time in India. I had an office in India, two offices in India, actually, one down in the south in Kerala and one up in the northeast in Kolkata or Kolkata as it's known now. So I've done a lot of business in India. I love India. I've got a good sort of outsider's perspective on what India is and what it isn't, better than the average sort of stereotype. And you've got very wealthy middle-class families there. These are people that even though, you know, you look at the GDP per head in India, you have to understand that that's a diluted GDP. So for the 300 million middle-class, there's 900 million poor people. And poor means poverty. It means not poverty in the US. It means people who can't afford, in many cases, to eat every day, who don't have a house over their head, a roof over their head. So that 300 million is diluted by 900 million, a very polarized society. And yet if you just took the 300 million, which is growing by the way, that 300 million, which is the population of the US, they're not too far away in economic power than the US. These are middle-class families that save up and send their kids to Stanford or Harvard or the best schools. You know, they buy property just like they would in the US. There's not a lot of difference. They own iPhones. They watch Netflix. And we're right on the cusp of that here in Singapore. Singapore is only four and a half hours flight from uh, the, well, the main metros of India, even closer if you were to fly to Chennai on the East Coast, for example. And there's a lot of Indians here. Traditionally, 
Singapore was a trading port. A lot of the South Indians, the Tamils, came to Singapore through the trading routes. They would come down on the monsoon uh, winds from Sri Lanka, Southeast Tamil Nadu to Singapore to trade and then stop off at Singapore and then head up to China. And then on the other, the reverse monsoon winds, they would come back the other way. That's been going on for hundreds of years. That's why they have a big, particularly Tamil community here, traditionally in Singapore. And if you look at some of the train stations, you'll see Tamil written in the local script and some of the announcements in Tamil as well. And later on, you've got another generation of Indians coming to Singapore, who are sort of the later generations who came in the last sort of 20 years, who've come from different parts of Singapore. They come, sorry, India, they've come from Delhi and Mumbai and Bangalore, Hyderabad, Ahmedabad, and so on. So you have a very strong connection to India, which is a great reason why you should start a podcast agency in Singapore or why we're here. Because podcasting in India is hot right now. And there's always connections between these two countries. I mean, we're only two and a half hours apart. And you've got a very young population here in Asia as well. Yes, you have some very old populations like Japan, even China now. Yet counterbalance that with these young, youthful demographics, India in particular, the largest under 30-year-old population in the world very much digital first as well. And then on our doorstep on the other side, I'll talk about them in a minute, Indonesia, 270 million people. So it's almost the size of the US and 50% of them are under 30. Geographically, Singapore is a great vantage point into the world as a podcast agency because you can fly you can take a five-hour flight from Singapore, Changi Airport, which is a great airport, by the way. Anybody who stops here loves it. I know travel isn't such a thing these days, but when it really opens up, spend time. Singapore Airport is an airport you could actually live in. I'm sure, you know, it's like that Tom Hanks movie. Somebody is living in there now. You know, it's a place where people don't move you on if you're just kind of hanging around, loitering. And you can actually sleep there. I think there's a hotel inside the airport transit hotel, butterfly, butterfly gardens, some great food. You know, check out, there's a great dosa place selling South Indian doses on the first floor. I don't know if it's still there, but it was years ago when I came here in Singapore in the 90s. I would all stop off here and eat at that dosa place because it was authentic South Indian dosa and I love dosa. You know, you can take a five-hour flight from Singapore airport and you can hit, I'm not kidding you, half the world's population. You can hit just under 4 billion people for a five-hour flight. Five hours. Five hours is what would take you east to west coast in the US. By contrast, if you were to fly from SFO, San Francisco, I believe, same flight, same distance, you would reach 550 million people. Obviously, all of North America, Central America, and it may be just the top of Latin America, South America. So that as a nexus, as a point of a locus, if you like, you could reach seven times more people in one flight. So you consider the geography of the United States as a market, like, you know, all of my friends in the US pretty much only do business in the US. 
because it's five hours either way. You know, flying West Coast to East Coast, the equivalent of that in Asia is seven times more people. And then you've got the time zones as well. So let's say the, the US is two to three hours of time zones, maybe if you include top of Brazil as well, it's a bit more. It's the same in, in Asia Pacific. We are two and a half hours ahead of India. That makes doing business very easy. You know, 8 a.m. in India is 10.30 a.m. in Singapore. And we're four hours, I think, behind the east coast of Australia, which makes it possible. You can do business with all of it. I think that's the main point, less than the travel. What I found in running international businesses is that time zones are the killer. It's not that you can't do the calls. It's that if you have a client who's 12 hours difference, or the worst one really is seven hours, eight hours difference, which is kind of a little bit of the dark side of the moon. 12 hours is fine because you can do an evening call in the US and a morning call in Singapore. 15 hours like West Coast US means like five o'clock in California is eight o'clock the next day. Or would it be, yeah, I know it gets confusing. In here in Singapore, and we're on the same time zone as China after all, and most of mainland Asia. It makes things possible. When you're all like seven or eight hours difference, it's tough. Like when they're logging in, you're logging off. When you're logging in, they're logging off, right? It makes, you know, that one simple message become a day, two days, and even weeks, right? That's when things fall apart. But here, we can do all of that. Four billion people within a manageable time zone right in the middle, China, India, all the way out to Australia. Then you add in access to markets like India and China, it starts to become real interesting. You know, here's where the outsized returns are in podcasting. And it's far better to operate from a vantage point with common law speaks English as Singapore does and actually being in these markets. I tell you that from my experience, you know, I had offices in India and many people have entered China as well, much to their, you know, loss, their cost. It's easier to partner, easier to partner than go in and set up India, a billion people. You know, we're partnering with podcast agencies in India now and podcast production houses, those doing great top-end narratives and those doing, you know, the, the more sort of bread and butter production. And we recently published an episode for Julius Baer, the investment bank, Swiss investment bank, based here in Singapore, in Mandarin. And it was proper Mandarin speakers, mainland China. You know, in you've got to think about it. Singapore has a number of languages. You have English as the official language, but also a lot of Mandarin speakers here as well. And of course, not less so much Hindi, but, you know, Indians, especially the educated Indians, they all speak English, mainland India. So 
you've got access to all of these markets. Then you've got the Malay community that gives you access to not just Malaysia, but Singapore and ultimately Indonesia. Because the language is, you know, like Bahasa is very similar, Indonesia and Singapore and Malaysia. You think about something like uh, Indonesia, it's next door, 270 million people, very young population, as I said, 30 years under 50% of the population, very much mobile first as they were, were in the days when I had a mobile company. You know, I think I remember working with Blackberry, RIM, R-I-M, in uh, Waterloo up in Canada, and their, their biggest market was Jakarta, biggest city, BBM. BBM is what Indonesians did. They kept that market alive even when, you know, Barack Obama dropped Blackberry. They were keeping it going. And problem is, is like those companies who are in their ivory tower don't pay attention to the peripheries where the real action is. And they lost that market. They lost that market. They lost, Blackberry lost because they didn't pay attention to what was happening at the fringes, both in terms of competition and what their fans were doing. They should have been here in Jakarta or at least in Singapore, like looking at what was happening next door because that would have defined them. If they had watched and learned young people using BBM, whether it was South Africa or Indonesia, the markets that were really hot for BBM at the time, they would have learned that that was their future rather than middle-aged execs, young people. And there are a lot of young people within a five-hour flight of here in Singapore. So that's why we started a podcast agency here. It made, to me, complete sense. Yes, it's a little bit early. Yes, it's a little bit ahead of the game. But that's where the outsized returns lie. That partnering with resources and a clear focus on what the offer is for the local market, then it's just a matter of time that the market comes around. So yes, we are a podcast agency based in Singapore. We are Pickle & Co. But if you're interested in this market or all of the markets I've talked about today, then just hit that email send button to me, Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, at pickle, P-I-K-K-A-L dot com. Graham at pickle dot com. If you want to know more about podcasting in Asia, ask me. I'm happy to talk about it. I publish reports about it. I do these podcasts. I love telling the story of the Asian century and how they will do it through podcasts.